Welcome to Lifting Leaders Podcast, where we are unleashing leader possibilities to make a better world. I'm Crystal Roberts, and together with Trisha Ryan, we're diving deeper into some of the complexities of the world's most critical challenges and exploring innovative ways of navigating through them. Through interviews with experts and leaders just like you, we're exploring what it takes to thrive as a leader today and examining new ways of thinking about how to creatively lead into a more equitable, socially responsible, and sustainable future. And the future starts now. Hi, Trisha. How are you doing today? I am great, Crystal. It's such a beautiful day here in Seattle. Love it. I know. It's so gorgeous. We're enjoying the last few days of summer, right? We are. We have just days left before fall. So how are you? I'm great. And I'm really excited to be here with our special guest, Jeff Bellman. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome and to we're you, s- too. Yeah, We're so glad to be here with you. And Jeff, as we were saying, lives in Seattle, and he's just about an hour's drive from the town that Trisha and I live in. So we decided to make the short trip to Jeff's house to do our interview live and in person, which is fun. So such a nice treat. So thank you for hosting us in your home, Jeff. Glad to have you here. We wanted to talk with Jeff because he has written a number of foundational books to the field of organizational development. And in fact, how many, is it six books? Six books. Wow. Six books. Yeah, that that's is foundational. Yeah. yeah. Many titles that we'll go over in just a minute that people I'm sure have heard. So they've been really important to leaders and consultants around the world in building better organizations, teams, and leaders. So while the world keeps changing, we find that there are many foundational principles that hold true and can be relied on, and we would put Jeff's work in that category. Absolutely. I also know that while Jeff doesn't consult for many anymore, is that true, actually true? true? You can't even tempt me. <laughs> Oh, my. (laughs) Yeah. So the world is lucky to have him all volunteering his gifts, though, to his community. He's he's definitely making the world a better place. Yeah. That's true. So you are. So So we want to talk with you about that as well, because it's such an important part of what we can all do. So let me share a little bit more about Jeff before we dive into our interview. Jeff started his consulting firm in 1977, following 14 years of work inside corporate America. His external consulting has focused on renewing large, mature organizations such as Booz Allen, Verizon, Intuit, Ernst & Young, Shell, BP, SAB Miller, Boeing, and Accenture. His books are in a dozen languages with over 300,000 in print, Extraordinary Groups, How Ordinary Teams Achieve Amazing Results, The Consultant's Calling, Bringing Who We Are to what we do, getting things done when you are not in charge, the beauty of the beast, breathing new life into organizations, your signature path, gaining new perspectives on life and work, and the quest for staff leadership. Many, many books. And that represents just like so much wisdom and so much work, both. Mm. Yeah. His consulting and workshops have taken Jeff to five continents. Mm. He has served as guest faculty for Pepperdine University, Fielding Institute, Sonoma State, OSR at Seattle University, and Leadership Institute of Seattle. Jeff received a Life Achievement Award from the Organizational Development Network for his contributions to advancing the profession. And the Woodby Institute in Washington State honored him for community service. So well-deserved. Mm. 
He's a charter member of the Woodlands Group, which has been exploring individual, organizational, and societal change for 40 years. With others, he founded the Community Consulting Partnership in 1995. They offer almost free consulting skills and consulting to community-based organizations in Seattle. He regularly consults to executive directors and boards, including Woodby Institute Center for Courage and Renewal, Charlotte Martin Foundation, and Seattle Counseling Service. Jeff grew up in Washington State, right here in Washington State. Graduated from Gonzaga on the other side of the mountains <laughs> and the University of Oregon. For 20 years, he and his family followed work around the country to Denver, New Orleans, Tulsa, and Chicago. In 1981, they returned to the Pacific Northwest with his wife, Sheila Kelly, who is another amazing person. And maybe we'll have her on the podcast one of these days. Mm. He lives in Seattle on the edge of Puget Sound in sight of the Olympic Mountains. And aren't we lucky today? We are viewing that. It is the most beautiful view. I hope our listeners are drinking this in. It is amazing. Not only is it perfectly sunny today and the sky is nice and blue, but we have that amazing view. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Trisha, anything that you would like to say before we jump in? I am just in awe and I'm I'm excited and a little nervous that we're going to (laughs) be interviewing somebody who I think is such an amazing foundation for organizational Mm -hmm. development, which I've been in for 41 years. So I do um, have a little bit of history with your stuff. In fact, um, I can say that Extraordinary Groups is one of the books that I used a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it taught me quite a bit. Things that I thought I knew, that I learned, mm-hmm. I didn't really know until mm-hmm. I read and then experienced it. So, yeah, I'm, I kind of feel like I have a guru here in front of me, <laughs> and I'm really in awe. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a wonderful interview. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jeff? Anything you'd like to say before we dive into our questions? Um, yeah. Uh, one is about the books that you've just been talking about. Most of those books came out of my own need to explore an area, not to tell you what I know about it already, but to discover more about it. Um, for example, The Beauty of the Beast, which is a, a book about the, the wonderfulness and awfulness of large organizations. Mm-hmm. I thought, I've been struggling with this and thinking about this and talking about this for years, but what, where do I stand on this? And so writing a book about it causes me to get clearer on, on what's important to me, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, the books are generally an exploration, and the, my favorite part is that four or 500 pages that gets generated, most of which never makes it to the final book. Mm. That's, oh, that's my, all yeah. the exploring, you know, and then you go through four, five, six drafts, whatever, and eventually a book comes out. Yeah, but the wow. books are, I have been well rewarded before the first book is sold. Mm. Love that. I actually didn't realize that, that there was so much culling down of the material. For me, yeah. anyhow. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, love that. So I'm going to dive in with our first question, which is, as we ask all of our guests, tell us your story. Mm. Mm. It starts out really dull, <laughs> okay, uh, but in a, in a small, in a family, six kids, I'm the oldest, in a good family, which is important background. You may know that from your own families mm. or not. And, yeah. and get a sense by being raised in a family that isn't that great. Get a sense of what you need. 
Um, so I'm the oldest of six, and uh, that establishes me well in terms of uh, my role that eventually emerged in consulting where and and leading a little mm. bit, trying to guide these little rascals in, mm -hmm. in directions. And um, so kind of humble beginnings, much, most of it spent in Pasco, Washington on the east side of the state mm. and, uh, and low aspirations. And somehow, thanks to some neighbors who liked me, I ended up deciding I wanted to go to college. And in college, I learned how to learn and yeah. I got excited about learning for the first time you know and that excitement continues till today mm -hmm. so as you've mentioned 14 years in large organizations after colleges and um, and in my work there maybe like work that some of you and the listeners have done I learned a lot while being paid by someone else I learned a lot about what became my career in OD yes mm -hmm. Uh, went on my own and uh, was on my own for 20 years. One thing that distinguished me is uh, over those 20 years, I worked an average of 73 paid days a year on purpose. Mm. I gave away more work than I did. Mm. And uh, I gave a lot of time to family and to the community. And... Um, and a huge amount to the, especially the corporate world where I did most of my consulting. So, yeah, that, that background, balancing out my personal life and my work yeah. life, that was really important to me, served me well, and increased my power as a consultant to work with others. I didn't have to do every bit of work that came along. Yeah. I chose work and work chose me. I think that's so important. And boy, we struggle a lot with that these days. People mm -hmm. are working extraordinary amount of hours yeah. with little time to do things outside of work. Their mm -hmm. whole lives are consumed by it. But I think what I'm hearing in your story also is a bit of faith in a way, not in a religious way, but faith that other things will come. Mm -hmm. To be able to say, no to work to be able mm -hmm. to say this is what i want to do and mm -hmm. i know that if i do the right things it's going to come to me the right work will come to me mm -hmm. yeah, um, holding on to that yeah. in, in in darker times yeah you know. it's just mm -hmm. i think it's powerful to have that choice too i mean to take that choice mm -hmm. or make that choice and let that guide what you do through life. I, I think you, you see what's most important mm -hmm. and you're able to stand back and and say okay your, is it your family you, you're concentrating on right now? Do you need to spend time at work? You might have a clearer head because you're not always in work. I know a lot of people don't ever have that, don't see that choice maybe when mm -hmm. they're going through their career ladders mm -hmm. or whatever they're doing in life. And it isn't until they've spent a lot of their life before they take that choice to step back and be a little less focused on their work and a little more on the things that really matter in life. Mm -hmm. I think this would be a much clearer place to be able to be creative from. Yeah, I agree with you. It gives you perspective yeah. on that work, mm -hmm. you know, to, yeah. to not be in it all the time. Yeah. And to, but it requires, as we may talk about later, it requires kind of establishing a, a frame or a game of your own that's not, you're not just playing other people's games. Yeah. How did you do that? I, I'm going to, 
I, I'm going off script. I always do. <laughs> how did I do that? How yeah. did I? Yeah. How, a lot of people are curious about it. Uh, I've led consulting skills workshops where it comes up a lot. I bring it up or others do. And uh, one of the things I'm curious about is if other people think it is so great to do that, why aren't more people doing it? Yeah. You know? And related to something one of you touched on a few minutes ago, it does have um, making that choice to work less. I, basically, I worked from 40 to 100 days a year. Like when she lives in grad school, I worked closer to 40. Making the choice has lots of implications. For example, we've only ever had one car, mm. you know, okay. in our entire marriage. You know, one yeah. car. We've always lived more in the city than out of it and at the end of or somewhere on a bus line. For those days, in those days when uh, I commuted to yeah. work or, you know, work downtown, Chicago, Tulsa, New Orleans, wherever. Yeah, uh, yeah making those, those kinds of choices. For much of our marriage, I was the primary income provider. So just one income. How do we live on that, you know? It requires valuing your own development and mm -hmm. your own growth mm -hmm. and your own freedom above all else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it needs attending to every day uh, to do that. Those are things that come to mind right off uh, yeah. about it. Yeah. It's a distinction uh, by the way, a lot of my clients knew about how much I worked and didn't. And they, uh, and as, as has been said to me more than once, I know you don't have to be here. You could be working for somebody mm -hmm. else. And we're so happy you're working with us. You know, so, yeah. the, so that's some of the distinction that comes too when yes. you choose to work less. Yeah. So. Wow. It's wonderful. Love that. So. As a person who's spent their career working in and being a thought leader to the field of organizational development, how would you define OD? And where do you see it has added the most value to business, life, and the world? And then if you can pull a story into that and tell us a little bit about how, illustrate that for us. Hmm, okay. Defining OD is a, is a tough one. <laughs> it's been a professionally, it's been worked on over and over and over and over again, and I think the main value of that is that is the question, what is OD, kind of keeps it. The question keeps it alive because we don't find the final answer, and I think OD really does need to evolve with the times. I see OD as a mind opener for individuals, teams organizations, systems, cultures, that it, it constantly challenges people to think about how do we make best use of human talent and how do we help people realize their aspirations in life. That's what it's mostly about to me. That's not what gets talked about in a lot of strategy meetings and all, but that's what, when I'm at my best, that's what informs me is, is how do we how do we serve the people here best in terms of uh, helping them contribute? How do we use them well? How do we help them realize whatever it is that they want, whether it's mm -hmm. just a refrigerator 
or uh, a, a job that's meaningful. Yeah. So I think of it in those terms. Not very professional in many ways. I mean, mostly it's about OD is about life. A way of thinking about it is think about OD kind of like like a religion, like a formal religion. It isn't, but it's similar in that uh, in former religions, believers show up on a regular basis. Uh, maybe it's prayer, or maybe it's a weekend service of some sort that they attend or something that they do daily a couple times a day. Um, and if you talk to uh, leaders of those groups, they know that they stand for a way of living that most of the people that follow them will never honor mm -hmm. uh, completely. OD is kind of like that. People, it's like we go to church on mm -hmm. Sunday and we sing the psalms and we say the prayers and all that kind of thing, and then we go back to our regular life. The regular <laughs> life is where OD is where OD is at work. You know? <laughs> is, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a uh, yeah and. So in this work, you have to be satisfied with and embrace, actually, uh, all those believers and non-believers yes. in what you do and, and accept that reality because that's, um, that's the way people are. So I, I think along the way, OD, though it's organization development, I think it primarily or more reliably serves the individual uh, the individual's deepened perspective on life and work and mm. their sense of their self in the world. Lots of people are in working in large organizations that don't have OD and there's never any encouragement to think about what they want to do in the world. There's a lot of encouragement to think about what the large organization wants them to do in the world. Mm. OD helps, helps broaden that. In organizations that are receptive to our work, we help the leaders of those organizations, the invested people in the organizations, uh, think about options that use people better. I like to use people well. Yeah. Uh, and using them well doesn't just mean for the organization, it means for themselves, mm -hmm. so that they get to grow, nice. so that they can get some glimpse of uh, a life that's larger than prescribed by others, a life of their own. OD also gives people, managers, leaders, individuals, gives people a, a language for expressing themselves. In organizations where OD is prominent, people often talk differently mm -hmm. uh, than in organizations where it isn't there. And it's legitimate to talk about yourself and what you want, to inquire of others what they want, to tell others how you feel about what's going on, what they're doing, what you're doing. Yeah, so wow. in a word, a word that has grown for me over the years is OD, a big value that it adds is it helps people see. See the world in a larger way than constrained by the boundaries of the organization that they're working in. And see and then maybe act on what they see. I think that's one of the main things we do is help people see rather than help people get new skills. Mm -hmm. mm. I'm not, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's how I see it. 
Yeah. Any, does that stir anything yeah. in you guys? Oh. It's super yeah. powerful. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost teared up over that one, actually. I'll Me tell you. Too. Oh, like my it. goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I think people that are in the industry really see it very differently than people who are receiving, you know, the benefits of it, if mm-hmm. you will. And it takes... It takes time for people to understand the benefit of OD. Often they don't see it until the person that is the OD practitioner is not around anymore. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, now this makes sense now. And I think that's a lot of what OD does as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's put, it plants a seed. And then people have to mm-hmm. either they choose what they want to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. And and what they want, where they want to take it. So... I love what you said. I, um, we are not just trainers, <laughs> but we do train, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was powerful. Thank you. I think it's Good. also really important for people, I was going to say, that are just starting out in OD, but I think it's really at any stage. You can get really frustrated when all this effort gets put into trying to help the organization be better, to be more a place where people can find their potential, not just for the organization, but for themselves and see some of that dwindle away after you leave or even in the moment, uh, they accept, you know, 25% of it. And you think, wow, what a waste of my time. And um, I think that the way that you just describe it is really healthy to think about it that way, to not be looking for perfection, to not say success is 100% of adoption of Mm. all these things that we know should be the way that we do it. Can we be happy with a shift, a small shift that makes a big difference Mm. over time? Yeah. Yeah. Progress. Progress. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking for progress rather than perfection. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard thing for organizations to mm -hmm. embrace sometimes though, when they're looking for a, they're looking for a result, right? Mm. They're looking for that bottom line result Mm. and, and they want to see it. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that is so tangible. Yeah. And this, and in many cases, the systems within the organization are set up in a way that, uh, that per pursue results soon and preclude the kind of, of, uh, progress uh, that we're talking about here. Yeah. yeah. But that's, uh, and we live with that frustration in this work, but it's uh, it's one that doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. We, we only need to look within ourselves to see uh, all of the things that, I mean, I'm 85 next month. Mm-hmm. There's still a whole load Happy of birthday. stuff I'm, <laughs> thanks. There's wow. a whole bunch of stuff I'm still working on, yeah. you know, yeah. all these years, you know. Yeah. So, uh, why can't I uh, embrace myself as I am, love myself as I am in my aspirations as well as my the things that I neglect don't do well? And why can't I embrace others who are on their journeys too? And why can't I embrace organizations that are reaching, trying, trying to do better? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 You know, it's one of the gifts, I think, of people who go into organizational development is that that curiosity, staying curious mm-hmm. keeps you young. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that. I mm-hmm. think as long as we're curious, we're, we're still growing mm-hmm. and there's still there's still opportunity. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that's wonderful. And yeah. and happy birthday next month. Yeah. <laughs> and there's there's a lot of support, uh, a lot of support for what you say, Tricia, in the now that I'm what do you know, old. Um, 
and reading about it. Uh, curiosity is an important element. Mm -hmm. I had a good model in my father uh, who was curious in many ways. <laughs> he was a curious individual. <laughs> and he well, was always, good thing. <laughs> always, always wanted to learn more about things, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, that's an important word to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To your question about um, how does OD serve and, and what value is it and can you tell a story? I, I tried to think of stories when you told me ahead of time you were going to ask about this. I tried to think about stories and uh, uh, on how those values serve. And frankly, egotistically, the first story came to mind is it's me. You know, this I am a story. Yeah, I am an example uh, of how this is served. And along with that, because it has OD has served me so well in my whole life, not just my work life, in my Sheila and my marriage and with my kids and friends, and it served me in so many ways. Uh, and um, after all this effort and all this time that's been put into me to make me a better OD person, I still fall short in so many ways. I still fall short. Yeah. And recognizing that, maybe I could have a little more patience with mm. other people who haven't had the benefit of all the time that I, that you and I, mm. have uh, spent developing ourselves. You know, we're asking people that have limited exposure yeah. to the kind of thing we have lots of exposure to, we're asking them uh, to make changes to consider changes, to see things differently in ways that are huge uh, to them. And uh, we should be very patient with yeah. them. One of the things I'm reminded too in terms of stories that with the book um, Extraordinary Groups, when Kathy co-authored, Kathleen Ryan and I were interviewing people for the book. We interviewed people from great teams self-proclaimed they thought they're really hot stuff <laughs> and, and they were and they delivered and we said we wanted to figure out why is it uh, that they're so wonderful and they recognize it in themselves they proclaim it even not all but many proclaim it an underlying theme uh, related to all these values and all is they want to make a difference in the world individually and collectively, teams of people that want to make a difference in the world. There's a lot of elaboration on that that we got into because we wanted to help people understand the kinds of things that great teams are paying attention to and maybe maybe you could use some of this stuff that the great teams are doing. So, uh, But that underlying point of making a difference and respecting each other while they work is, was an important one to me. Yeah, I love that. That passion, the passion to do something more than just what's in front of you, yes. making a better world. Mm -hmm. I love and it that. does come back. I mean, that's to your point. Mm -hmm. I mean, keeping your focus on making a better world or keeping your focus on doing good somewhere else always comes back, mm -hmm. right? Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So speaking of making a better world, you've worked with <laughs> leaders all around the world. 
And we define leaders as anyone who has the ability to influence others. So it doesn't have to be in a formal role. Mm-hmm. What are one or two truths that you have found over the years for those leaders, especially in relationship to transformational experiences that leaders saw as amazing or magical and resulted in their and their team's feelings energized, connected, hopeful, and changed? And that description came from your book around extraordinary groups. I liked that you asked that question because I had to return to thinking about that again from in that way. Uh, one thing I think leaders do is um, they help people discover what they can do together. Yeah, from a team angle. Yeah. By the way, to me, the primary unit of work, whether it's in a paid job or in the PTA or in a family, the primary unit of work in the world is not the individual. It's a small group, mm-hmm. uh, single to me, single-digit group. In the in the extraordinary groups book, we expanded it to larger than that. But I really favor, you know, eight, nine, maybe ten people. It, when you get up to 12, 15, well, the team aspect of it begins to get layered and it's too complicated. Better than eight or nine is five or six, you know, something like that. So a leader that holds the perspective I'm trying to express right now looks at the team that they're on as a possibility for a shared discovery of... uh, some significant action or learning or some and and the leader focuses their energy on on pulling that team together through questions and all about what they what they might do together mm-hmm. rather than telling them mm-hmm. the 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 fortune magazine forbes magazine covers stories about leaders are not the primary one for me, the ones that are held up as, as they, get, they get too venerated and mm-hmm. there's too much ego in it. There isn't the, uh, they're, they're seeking more immediate recognition. Highly effective leaders uh, work well with small teams over the long term and, and the people on the team feel developed because of the process that the leader uses to bring them forward and bring them together. It kind of tied to that is uh, that leaders help feed the lives of the people around them by using the resources of the organization. That's a unique thing that you've got. If you're, if you're a formal leader and have some responsibility, you've got all these resources from money to copy machines to... Uh, job descriptions, uh, all these things that you can do that you can shape uh, and ha- you have the authority to do it. You can shape the roles and materials and time of the people in the group so that they can grow in their lives. You know, I have a daughter and son-in-law who uh, own, run a small heating and air conditioning business. They maybe 15, 18 people. They go through, a, a lot of people go through that organization through time. And, and I see my um, 
kids as kind of parents to that younger group that's moving through and uh, an experience they have occasionally and I think they ought to have, they will have it more is that people say uh, I moved on uh, for more money or whatever but this is a great place to work mm -hmm. I learned so so much about how to work with other people here and these are the these are the graduates of this pro of this program you know in a way they move on to other places mm -hmm. and see they aren't as great as where they came from anyhow there's something about that that um yeah the growing of people being important to leaders yeah yeah it's that investment in people knowing that the leader has to believe in that broader notion of making a better world mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. the people they have in front of them right now they can do that but know that they they will probably move on mm -hmm. to other places mm -hmm. and that's a good thing too mm -hmm. they take that with them that's mm -hmm. right to their new place new energy new ideas they can spread that that good message mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. businesses that are open to those messages coming in are the ones who are gifted, you know, ultimately, you know, because the, the employee who learns in their first job, that job that really helped them grow and they take that growth on and help the next business grow, you know, the gift just keeps going on and on. It's like dropping a pebble in water, right. And mm -hmm. watching the ripple, it's, it just spreads forever. So mm -hmm. that's, um, that's a great way to make sure that we are making a better world, mm -hmm. I think. It's not, don't keep it in-house, right? Mm -hmm. Spread that wealth. Yeah. And it's um, what we're talking about here is has to be owned deeply by leaders mm -hmm. uh, for them to uh, grow people in a way that serves, uh, serves the individual, whether it's here or somewhere else. Right. And with all the pressures leaders have on them, responsibilities that they have, it's easy for them to forget about that. And OD reminds them mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. It's that, you know, I think about any time you get a good growth experience or you have a good experience in an organization, that's your experience, which mm -hmm. gives you confidence, which mm -hmm. makes you a better person, I think, as you go forward. So, um, yeah. yeah. I have a practical question for you. <laughs> okay. In your book, Leading Extraordinary Groups, you share practical ways to design and facilitate meetings with the group needs in mind. All five steps look really helpful for leaders to keep in mind when designing and facilitating meetings. One in particular I wondered if you could go into a little more depth on, including practical actions or steps a leader can take. It is identify where and how can we use our differences as a group strength? Hmm. Yeah, that's a, a point of a considerable discussion, sometimes contention um, within teams. Uh, how much do we want to talk about how we are different? Mm -hmm. And how, does that, how do those differences serve? The temptation is to in most teams to talk about if we're talking about wonderful stuff about us is talk about what's wonderful altogether here and not how we're different that's 
uh, if we look to the field uh, to sports, we'd find that something quite different is pursued there. Mm. Uh, they have the advantage in sports of a, of a physicality, of it, movement and all things that you don't see around a, a team table. But um, yeah, in sports, they do look at the significantly different contributions that various team members make. And they identify those contributions and look for ways of building on them. And I think we have that opportunity within many teams. A first place that I turn is to the team itself. I'd ask them, I won't get into all that might surround it, but at some point I'd ask them, how are we different? What, what are differences that we've got in this team that we can build upon? Who brings, let's talk about individuals, who brings some special skills? You know, one possibility is to make a time, this is to some listeners, this is just going to seem ridiculous, but it <laughs> just works beautifully for others, uh, uh, is to uh, next time we're going to talk about Tricia in our next meeting and what she brings and what's special about what she brings. And then uh, next time we're going to talk about Tom mm -hmm. and so on. And so we really look into what people bring and how to bring more of it it can result in some really good discussion given that the, fo the focus of it is it's not an evaluation or an assessment. The focus is the team and how to use people well within the team. People like being used for things that they do well, yeah. you know. Uh, along the line, some people will say, oh, Tricia's so much better at this than the rest of us are. That's not the point. Just praise Tricia. It's to build on the skills that she's got, and maybe some of the rest of us can pick those up. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I think about and that I've seen happen in teams. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I, I think I was just in a meeting not too long ago where a group of people were doing a team building. It's a fairly new team, haven't worked together that much, and they were looking for what is the same. And mm. I was I was thinking that was an interesting approach because I think they were trying to see where they have common ground, you know, so that they could work together. But what they missed was that very element. Mm -hmm. What is it that you bring to the table that is different, that we can use, that can, can make us even stronger, that can make us more effective? And we ended up having to do a very short exercise because we ran out of time. They were doing a lot of, how are we, to, how are we the same? And I think people actually were waiting for that moment where they mm -hmm. could talk about what was different about them and what they what was their uniqueness, you know. And I, I I love that you said that because that is something a lot of times teams miss, and it could make a huge difference. I think in building that team and in forming a, a more engaged workforce, you know, having mm -hmm. people know where they're coming from, what is different, what is unique. Mm -hmm. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And to be also to be sort of honored that yes, way, absolutely. the value that you bring to the team and to know that you are of service, that's what people want to want to see. They want to know that and to be seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for what they for what they bring. My belief is that teams excel primarily through doing what they do well even better. 
Yes. Rather than correcting things that they're doing yes. poorly. All that is legitimate area to explore, but right now, too many teams and individuals in teams are subject to looking at what they don't do well and, and with the implication that if you just get this right, well, then things will be better. Maybe, but my experience with that is not as encouraging as my experience with teams that are talking about what they do well and are going to do even better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Much more positive focus. Yeah. I want our listeners to really soak that in. This is coming from Jeff, who has years and years and years of experience working all over the world with many, many, many different teams. That that's the truth. That's one of those truths that stand yes. true yes. over time. And so I, I just think it's a really, really important point that we're focusing on our strengths, the things that that work and how do we elevate those, continue to elevate those, mm -hmm. yeah. More success doing that than picking apart where are we going wrong, well, yeah. And yeah. try it and learn to trust it because yeah. Yeah. the experiences that you have as you're trying it and you're getting positive results, mm -hmm. um, you know, play off that, mm -hmm. keep, keep going. And that builds a pattern of being, I think, a strong leader when you are able to pull that out in your group and, and recognize those people. Mm -hmm. But it is also a, a basis for trust mm -hmm. within your team, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and something I'd add mm -hmm. is that, um, and this, by the way, relates to all kinds of relationships, teams being one of the smaller aspects of it, marriages being a, a good example. When you uh, start appreciating each other, think in terms of a friendship or a marriage, uh, when you start appreciating each other uh, regularly and easily and honestly, mm -hmm. then you can make the room so that later on if there's something that's critical, mm -hmm. right. yeah, it falls into, um, it's like a weed in a bouquet of beautiful flowers. You've put this bouquet out there for weeks and months and all you've been, and here's this thing, here's this one little weed you're concerned about. Well, that is, is dealt with in the context of the larger beautiful array. Yeah. You know? mm, yeah. So that's, that served me really mm. well with Sheila, uh, kids, friends, yeah, and in teams. Yeah, love that. So what is the best advice that you have ever received or the worst advice <laughs> that you may have followed and learned from? Hmm. This is not the best or the worst, but it's a sample. The sample is uh, once when I, I had a job and I was doing very well in an organization and I was, I was beginning to get into OD at the time and I was getting some recognition around the maybe the eight, ten thousand people in this division. And I was invited to a an event where executives from the home office were coming here. I was invited to a dinner. That was really unusual. I was a high potential person mm -hmm. and um, and they wanted to show me off a little bit. And I went to that dinner and I had a hell of a good time. 
it was fun to be with all those executives and all that, you know. I really did enjoy it. I came home pumped. The next day, I went to the office and uh, my boss's boss, uh, Quint was his name, called me in and he said, after, how'd you like last night? He was there, you know. I said, oh, you, that was a good time. I really did like it. And he said, uh, you are so highly respected. <laughs> you are so highly respected around here. You know, just know that. You're highly respected. You don't have to make an ass of yourself like you did last night. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Wow, I interesting. I was so full of my, and I just, I was shocked, you know. And what useful perspective. Quint, conservative guy, PhD. We had a good relationship and he, he made a point of telling me that. And, uh, and it caused me to completely reframe what had happened the night before. Mm. And seeing that as a legitimate perspective on it, you right. know, that was oh. hard and good. Yeah. So that was one piece that I remember. Yeah. 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 Um, what a kind way to say it, though. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, when we talk to leaders and we're talking about how to give feedback, mm -hmm. especially difficult feedback, yes. that whole piece about starting with the heart, like where he actually was saying, you're so well-respected around here. You know, that opens you up mm -hmm. to be able to accept that feedback, yeah. that really hard-to-hear feedback mm -hmm. in a way that allowed you to internalize and say, you know what, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. I'm going to show up in a different way and I'm going to consider that feedback, not just reject it and say, well, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Can't you have fun? You know? That's, yeah, that's a I good example that. of, of um, feedback being a gift and yeah. you taking it that way. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think people are often afraid to take feedback because it makes them feel bad or it mm -hmm. makes them have to mm -hmm. search within. Mm -hmm. But you did. Yeah. And you grew from that. And yeah. and he as Crystal saying he did do a really good job of that. I he kind of crystallized. I knew he respected me and all that. He'd been a good supporter. And uh, but introducing it that way, yeah, if he hadn't said that first part, yeah. he just said the second part, yeah. you know. Yeah, so different. So mm. you yeah. ready for another one? Love that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a I'm the director of OD, at, and this is my last job with the pharmaceuticals company. I'm I'm the director of OD for the company, and um, I've been there about six months. It's my first kind of formal management position. I've been a supervisor before in another company, but uh, yeah, and my. My boss, one night over drinks after work, he said, uh, and it was a formal, let's take a six month look, you know, how are you doing? He said, uh, David said, in your aversion to politics in this very political organization, you are standing back too far to understand what's really going on here whoa, you know, that that didn't feel uh, highly um, 
that that felt like I needed to give this more thought because I was uh, very critical of politics. I'd approached when I'd been hired by the organization, one of the ways that I'd made my way in a previous, in an oil company, a previous employer, is by d avoiding politics and doing good OD work, mm -hmm. you know? But here I was at a level that I was in the midst of politics, mm. and, and David was right. Uh, I, I was standing back kind of critical of what was going on politically and not getting close enough to understand why it worked that oh. way. So then I couldn't help as much, mm. you know? I couldn't help as much. That was very useful too. Mm. Yeah. It's so interesting because I was actually just having a conversation with somebody about something similar as far as like, how can you influence the system? Is it better to stay on the outside or to jump in? to the mm -hmm. middle of that system mm -hmm. and try and try and shift it. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, you need to jump in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'd further distinguish, I think he's right. Yeah. And I'd also say, you are a player, whether you want to be a player yeah. in the political system or not, especially mm -hmm. at higher levels where politics often dominates more. You are a player. You, uh, if you just stand there in the middle of the cafeteria and don't do anything, yeah. you're still a player. Yeah. You know, so you can jump in in an active, curious way, try to understand what is going on around here. Yeah. Or you can stand outside and and hold on to your previous judgments about all that's wrong with this. Politics are part our lifeblood in my view, of mm -hmm. large organizations. Yes. You, you are necessarily in a hierarchical organization with nine levels and whatever. Um, you're necessarily at higher levels dependent on what other people are doing for you. Uh, and there's loyalty involved, trust involved, all that. It's, uh, and politics can really get nasty, messy, contaminated, mm -hmm. but you can't get rid of them. You know? yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's how you set up the organization that uh, uses that informal system well. Yeah, interesting. You know, every day there are employees who continue to step up into formal leadership roles in companies, we were talking, um, in nonprofits, in government, and the issues they're facing, like climate change, quiet quitting, racial inequities and layoffs can seem insurmountable. And yet, there are more resources than ever before to support them. So what advice do you have for those who are at the beginning of their leadership journey, how to start strong, how to, mm -hmm. how to maintain, and uh, for the long game, how to sustain that mm -hmm. um, without burning out? Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. Recognize that you're building a life here. That's the most important thing that you're doing. You're building a life. And, uh, and if you want to have a good one, uh, you can increase the chances of having a good one by being thoughtful about what you want for yourself out of this life. Know that other people and organizations around you are building their lives as well. 
if you don't build your own life, they will build it for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not assigning evil intent to them at all in that. They have purposes and they need to pursue them. They may do that well or poorly, but you can do a better job with your life to the extent that you intentionally create it. This means a lot of stumbling around. This means a lot of learning. This means uh, not knowing what you're going to do next. Uh, but, but every day, think about the life that you want to create for yourself. And if you're in a large organization, as all of us have been, well, uh, recognize that your life, your, let's put it in game terms, your, your game, your life game, is more important to you than the larger organization's game. You've chosen to work here. Figure out a way of working here that you can feed, develop, grow in your own game, your own life. Yeah, you're becoming a person first, not an employee, not a leader. You're becoming a person first. And that deserves regular attention. Too many of us get caught in lunchtime conversations about what's screwed up about this organization. But often, by the way, we're right, but those lunchtime conversations are often just a part of playing the corporate game or the large organization game. It's like, yeah, we talk about this, so now we don't have to do anything about it. You know? Yeah. Um, and we just bitch, you know. And then, and then it kind of goes. And tomorrow at lunch, we do it again, you know. And we don't define we we define our si our lives as uh, complainers about large organizations rather than creators of lives for ourselves and others. Yeah, I think that. I'm I'm a little um, put off by all the discussions and writing there's been about leadership. I think, yeah, different from your focus, which is more about, as you said early on, uh, people who can you know influence others, have whether they've got formal position or not. Um, there's too much emphasis on leadership as a formal position, and we uh, we let that go by kind of as that's good or that's valid and we all ought to aspire to that. It's okay to aspire, in my view, if it's within a larger life context, if, you, if there's more that you're mm -hmm. doing with your life than just leading in this organization. What do you believe is your lasting legacy that you are most proud of or humbled by, at least to this point in your life? Those are the easy questions, huh? You save them for the last. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I've never been a big fan of legacy. Mm. I, I hear it. I've never been a big fan. This is just me. I'm not yeah. disparaging yeah. legacy. And, and, but um, like an obvious um, bit of my legacy mm. yeah. is these six books. Yes. Because mm -hmm. they stand out there. You know, by themselves, mm -hmm. and they and I don't even have to be there. Yeah. People call me about them. People want to interview me. Uh, yeah, and I'm surprised how good it feels to have those books. And I didn't write any of them for legacy. Yeah. As I said earlier to you, 
I wrote them because I wanted to explore subjects and understand it more for myself. And then from all that I've written, pull out some stuff that'd be useful to other people. A lot of people would say, well, that, that fits with the legacy stuff, um, you know, pretty well. Maybe I'm kind of sliding in that direction a little bit now at this age. I don't have big aspirations individually for what gets carried forth because of me. I do have significant aspirations for what gets carried forth because of us. Mm -hmm. uh, I think of legacy much more in terms of what we together pass on. What is this generation, this family, uh, this, what well, could be a large organization too? What, what is it passing on? What endures into future generations? Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, uh, yeah, my notions about wanting to leave something before I die mm -hmm. are significantly different than some friends of mine, good friends, who are really at this age, you know, they're around 80 something like I am. Uh, they're really, some are really caught up in what am I going to leave, you know? Yeah. Uh, not just money, uh, but ideas and how about, yeah, influencing what happens, you know, into the future. And I don't know, for some reason, I think I need to do more work there. I really don't, yeah. I've got a kind of simplistic resolution of it for myself uh, that involves legacy as met or left by others and intentionally left. Yeah. I wonder how much of that belief, you know, exists because of previous generations who felt the need for that and passing that on. Because I, I like your twist on that, which is. You see legacy as us, you know, mm. what, what have we done? What has our generation done? And, and oh, that others in this generation would feel the same way, right? Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. there are many. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, Jeff, we are asking all of our guests <coughs> this one part, and this is we're doing some hope research, and we would love to get your views on a couple of key questions mm -hmm. that we're asking everyone and we are sending out <laughs> links to our survey. We hope everyone is doing it. Um, in fact, just run to your computer right now. <laughs> <laughs> finish listening, finish listening. But, yeah, listen to us first and then yeah, run to your Don't computer. leave me here. No, 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 no. <laughs> Jeff's going to tell us how he feels about this. So our hope questions start with, where do you see signs of hope in the world today? This is, during the last two or three years, I've thought a lot about this in various ways. Uh, and I've come to some tentative resolution that will trouble some people that are listening today. It's, in fact, this will, to some people this will sound really strange, but I'll say it anyhow. And that is, my hope has been increased by what's happened in the last four or six years. My hope for the world. I see us dealing awkwardly, dealing with the reality that surrounds us. I see us dealing with a, a reality in history, a history that, uh, from 
the perspective of many, uh, has, has been very troubled and, and not been emphasized, has been covered. Uh, racial history is just one of, of many important examples. So when I see us dealing with that reality, I'm encouraged, I'm made hopeful about where this might go. If, we, if we're creating a future based on a highly distorted notion of reality, then we are doomed. Yeah. We, we have to somehow come to terms with what's really happened and is happening in what's really happened in our history and what's happening right now. So with my friends, as recently as last week, uh, I was saying something like this to her, and she just cringed. I'm just, oh, you know, mm. uh, what, you, you like this? No, I don't like it, but it's very promising mm -hmm. that we're facing up to a lot of stuff that we've buried in the yeah. past. By the way, I don't think we're doing it very well. I think that we're inexperienced at it, we're polarized politically, all this. Yeah, we're not doing it really well, uh, but we don't, we don't have a history of doing right. this kind of thing well. So uh, I'd like to be around 25 more years, you know, to see a little bit more about what emerges. Yeah, I'm not, I've never operated under the illusion that the changes that I favor, the really important changes that I favor, are going to happen in my lifetime. No. Yeah. Somebody said to me, notably, or I read it years ago, that, yeah, if you aspire to something then it, that can happen in your lifetime, you're not reaching high enough, mm. far enough. Mm -hmm. that, that applies to the whole field of OD. Yeah, you know? yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes. this is not stuff that's uh, accomplished overnight or in uh, the next strategic plan. Yeah, no, people, so, it's people, not easy. It's yeah. not easy, right? Yeah. People hear the message when they're ready to hear the message, and sometimes mm -hmm. it sinks in when it's the time is right. Mm -hmm. And it may not be in our time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So how do you sustain hope for yourself, Jeff? Small actions, being pleased with small actions of small people in the small communities. I mean, just little day-to-day -day things, you know, that encourage me. That's where I look to for hope and encouragement. It doesn't do me a lot of good, though I keep up with the news um, pretty well. That's not where you find the most hopeful signs mm -hmm. right now. In some respects, maybe things aren't that much worse than they've ever been. It's just that we know more about it. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not sure about that, but there is an element of we've got so much coverage of everything mm -hmm. in the evening news. You can see, you can go around the world uh, and see the various disasters that are playing out. You know, in, in uh, five minutes, you can cover eight countries. Yeah. And, uh, and you can get really down about that. Well, a lot of that stuff was going on before we had that coverage. We're not able to absorb it. We aren't prepared, aren't right. able to absorb it that well. Mm. But, um, but you can look and you can do things yourself in your community. Small things, small things. Yeah. 
So how do you engage or inspire others to be hopeful? I think I'd imagine that my, um, that I kind of model hopefulness uh, rather than despair. I look into the current reality and I feel hopeful mm-hmm. and I help others to consider being hopeful as well. I model it when I'm patient with other people and hear them out. I model hopefulness when I'm curious and inquire of other perspectives. I model hopefulness. This is a time, 2023, this is a time of relative plenitude. We have so much and we don't know what to do with it. Mm. We're not experienced in that. Um, we, we haven't been here before where we've got all these resources, information, you know, and we've got, um, we've got systems that were built, governmental systems, corporate systems, educational systems, justice systems, public health systems that were built for and in another time. And we've got corporations that are, um, many that are relatively um, voracious in their um, desire for moving their objectives forward and making money and and also uh, contributing. And it's just so overwhelming. We don't know how to handle all this. Let's recognize that. We can't throw everything out. You can't throw all the systems out overnight. You can't throw the politicians out overnight. Yeah, we've just never been in such a complex world. And um, somehow we're going to have to maintain our belief in our ability to get through this, our ability to get through our faith in the shared human desire for, for a better world. But the next few years are going to be really challenging in that regard. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very difficult, and, I'll, and I believe that we will make it through. But there's the real possibility, the real possibility that we won't, okay? That's important to yeah. it. If it's possible that we know we will make it through with certainty, then it's not possible to create a new world that builds on what's gone before but is different. We have to have the risk, yes. the real possibility of failure, and that, that's scary. But if it's not scary, then there isn't room for the creativity mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be required to get through. Yeah. I'm not saying that very well. It's a newer, um, not so much a newer thought as a newer expression of it. I, what I'm getting from that is it's that pressure, right? It's that, mm-hmm. that one level of pressure that, that sparks people to want to move in the right direction or into a direction that is, is, has more positive outcomes, is more hopeful, is more sustainable, because the thought of not doing that is just too scary or mm-hmm. just just not acceptable or not mm-hmm. or you know the frightening part of it mm-hmm. so it's almost having that you need that little spark of fear or that little spark of hopelessness in a way if mm-hmm. if you 
to move you in another direction, yeah. to make you be that innovative, creative person in our group yeah, to do that, yeah. right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that I think so. Yeah, it, you really, um, yeah, you have to, it's hard for people to embrace, the, to me, the truth that in order to evolve as a, not a species so much as uh, organizationally and in societies and all, in order to evolve, we, we have to suffer through darker times that pull mm. us together. Yeah. And then uh, there's a history of that in the world. You can look, there are many times, I'm not a historian, but there are many times when very dark times were followed by creative times. Mm. So I think we're in some of those darker times right now, and I'm really hopeful wow. about how those times will inform mm -hmm. and allow us to let go of some of the yeah. baggage, some of the stuff that's uh, gotten in our way at all levels, individually, governmental, large organizations, societies, yeah. And doesn't that just support everything in OD that we talk about when it comes mm -hmm. to change? It's yeah. Sometimes it's that, you know, you're, when you're at your absolute worst, that's when your best change happens, or mm -hmm. that's when your, mm -hmm. your best outcomes come, yeah. right? Yeah, Interesting. but sure, facing that, it's yeah. hard. Yes. Yeah. So looking forward, what are you really excited about? What's next for you? Hmm. I'm not so much excited as I am curious. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about going camping next week. That's, that's oh. I'm excited <laughs> yeah. about that. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, in terms of the larger stuff that we've been talking about, I'm really curious about where it's all going to go, and I'm gonna I'm gonna miss some really important stuff that I'd like to see. If I, I just can't live long enough to. <laughs> You know, I'm not talking five years, I'm talking 25, 50 mm -hmm. years, because I think it's going to take that long for, for some of this stuff to sort out. But who knows, you know, but that's right. what I'm thinking. So I'm, I'm remain curious about life in general, about why we do what we do. I interview servers in restaurants who are like mm -hmm. a really good server we were with the other day. Uh, why are you doing this work? You know, mm -hmm. I'm really curious. It ties back to what Kathy and I saw when we were looking at extraordinary teams about why do you do this? Why, why that that the sets you apart from other people? And then to hear people's responses to that, they don't really good people don't think it's crazy when you ask them why they do. They know, right. you know, and they, yeah. I'm curious about well, implicit in a lot that I've said is about where is all this going you know mm -hmm. and uh yeah and i would like i would like to watch it i would like to have more years to watch that that curiosity that uh, observing that reflecting that gets me through you know and i really yeah i spend a lot of time in that mode mm -hmm. and uh, yeah one question that i have um as you're as you're looking forward, you had talked a little bit about your community work. Do you want to talk just a little bit about that? Like what's up for you in giving back to the community? Um, I'm less active from a community standpoint than I was. Mm -hmm. We you know, did some really good work with others um, 
serving local not-for-profits and all that and giving people training people in od skills mm. we train people to be consultants by making them consultants to local not-for-profits mm. that don't have the money to hire consultants yeah, so right. we come in for free and work with them the the local organizations they have an obligation to send people into monthly meetings and to yeah so they learn a lot about it too that was really fun um and i'm not doing that anymore what i'm doing most of is uh one-on-one -on -one work one-on-one -on -one calls mm. usually with individuals from mostly the states but around the world um people that i've known in the past and uh and they include me in their lives you mm. know yeah and I get to talk to them about uh, what's going on right now. Uh, often it's about work. Sometimes it's about their love life. Sometimes it's about their kids. Uh, sometimes it's about vacations. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I was talking, I was writing back to a woman in Scotland that I've worked with over the years. Uh, this morning I was writing back to her. She has a cancer of some sort that mm. she's been struggling with. So keeping up with her, you know, and knowing her at a really vital time in her life earlier, yeah. she's an amazing woman, and then how does she bring those talents to bear on this cancer? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And to get to help her think about that some, but mostly to just get to be a part of her life. I mean, she's talking to me, writing to me, send me pictures and pages because of work we did maybe 18, 20 years ago, and we've been in touch all this time. Mm. And when last time Sheila and I were in Edinburgh, we saw her. Um, yeah, so that's a... I get a whole bunch of examples like that of people that I'm staying in touch with. Yeah. I feel like I'm supposed to do that. That's the little day-to-day -day right. encouragement, hopeful stuff. Yeah. that. Um, it's yeah. one of the ways you're inspiring hope in others, I actually. think so. Mm -hmm. I mean, Absolutely. you just described what... We asked you to answer the question, and you just described it beautifully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Connection, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just... It's not so much... Um, by the way, my work in the not-for-profit world, when I switched to that years ago and quit um, the corporate work, um, when I switched to that, I got a much um, better sense of um, the, the human side of what I wanted to accomplish and, and not the corporate world has so much emphasis on bottom line all that. I don't, that's not all there is to it, but they do have a lot of emphasis on that. In the not-for-profit world, um, there's, the bottom line is quite different, and that really helped me uh, be present more mm. and, and less driven to results. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Mm. And so important to, to recognize that gift that you're giving other people. Yeah which these days we're all so busy. I feel like the gift of having somebody be a friend and to listen and encourage mm -hmm. 
it's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So thank you so much, Jeff. Did we get to everything that you wanted to say? No, Anything? No. Any closing comments that, that? Yeah, I know, I know. It's hard, isn't it? No, any closing no. comments that that you just wanted to to say? I want to open that door for you. If there's anything left there. Um, thanks for including me in this. It's um, when you make made your request. I, I'm yes, and then then you came up with your list of questions and all. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to prepare for this. <laughs> you know, that, I went through that. And then I really valued the preparation. You know, part of it is I'm just distant from the work. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm not used to working very hard, you know. So <laughs> I, had to do, I had to work a little here. And it informed me. And then to hear you and to see your enthusiasm for this work, that feeds me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It truly feeds both of us. I know Crystal's heart very, very well, and it—you've just filled mine for the day. It—it gave me some new hope for the direction of OD as well, Mm -hmm. and I thank you for that. Yeah, and I know our listeners—they also they gained from this, Mm -hmm. and and that's why we do it, right? We do it to share and elevate voices that we know people will will be able to benefit from. So listeners, let's keep that conversation going. If you have questions or comments about the show, you can find us on all our social media channels at lifting underscore leaders. We have so many exceptional podcast episodes like this one coming up. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple podcast or wherever you listen. If you know someone who would find this episode inspiring, share it with them, text them, email them, or take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram and tag us at lifting underscore leaders. If you'd like to know more about us, our guests, or the show, please go to our website at liftingleaderspodcast.com. You'll find our show notes there as well. If you're looking for help in developing your leaders or would like a growth opportunity yourself through leader coaching, please contact us through our website. Thank you to Ari Chance Roberts for his technical support of our show. Hmm. Finally, please take 30 seconds and follow us. It helps you because you never miss an episode and it helps us because you never miss an episode (laughs) to follow us. Go to the lifting leaders podcast show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen, then just tap the plus sign in the upper right hand corner or click on follow while you're there. If you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and review and share the episode with a friend, we'd be so grateful. Thank you. Trisha for co-hosting with me. Thank you, Jeff, for hosting us in your house and being our guest. Um, it was a, it was a just a wonderful episode. So meaningful. Delightful. Yeah. And many thanks to you, our listeners. We appreciate you. Find ways every day to lift each other up. Have a fantastic week. Take care. <laughs>